Parshas Vayera, consulting the sages. In this week's Sedra, we find that Moshe and Aaron were constantly coming into Paro on a mission to have the Bnei Israel sent free. They would come into the palace delivering messages from Hashem, negotiating, and then they would walk out and go home. A few days later, they would be back again with a new message, a new ultimatum, again and again, back and forth, back and forth. Now, many people are surprised by this, and rightfully so, because why weren't Moshe and Aaron busy performing the tasks that Paro's slave masters imposed on all of Bnei Israel? Who gave them a pass to have so much freedom, so much time off from work? What's that all about? Weren't all the Bnei Israel subjected to a program of hard labor? And the truth is that it's an even bigger question because it wasn't only Moshe and Aaron. We know in Shemos Rabbah that the entire Shavis Levi was free. Isn't that a remarkable thing? We forget about that when we think about the 210 years of Shibud Mitzrayim. The tribe of Levi was never enslaved. They continued to live their own regular lives in Mitzrayim. I suppose they suffered some of the run-of-the-mill Gentile persecution. I'm sure the epithets were hurled at them as well. Maybe some physical attacks too. I imagine that they had stones thrown at them every so often. But still, as much as the Shavit Levi suffered from the Egyptians, it's an interesting fact of our history in Mitzrayim that this one family was not Meshubahed. They weren't subject to Paro's system of hard labor. And so the question arises, how did that happen? How could such a thing be? The Bnei Israel were one family after all. What was it that saved the Shevet Levi from all that trouble, all of those years of slavery? Now, listen to the answer, because it might surprise you. The answer is that they had an old grandfather around, an old grandfather who was mean to them. What was the story? When the Bnei Israel began to increase, so Paro began to worry. And so he said to his people, his advisors, we have to do something about this. Before we know it, they'll be swarming all over. And ve'ala min ha'aretz, the end will be that we'll have to leave. It will become the land of the Hebrews. And they'll throw us out. Now Paro couldn't just come out and make a decree. Stop having children or something to that effect. It wouldn't work such a thing. The people in the ancient days were too smart for that. Today, in a stupid generation, so stupid ideas can take hold. And therefore, ZPG is the style. That's Roshe Tevos for zero population growth, which means to stop having children. They made a big fuss in the world, a panic that children are pollution. Every child uses up so much water and so much air, so much energy and so much fuel, and we have to do something about it. But in those days, people had children. Nobody thought otherwise. The old-time Egyptians didn't reach the lunacy of today's Gentiles. And so, Paro came up with a plan to break the Bnei Israel down by means of heavy labor. They would become a tired people with no koach, no interest in having children. But he couldn't just say, you must come, I want to enslave you. To just enslave a people willy-nilly, the Bnei Israel weren't captives of war, and Paro wasn't a wild tyrant. He was a decent king who had regard for public opinion. What will they say in Egypt among the populace? What would they say in other countries? So he couldn't just come out one day and make them slaves. Such a thing wouldn't work. 
And therefore, he had to lead up to it gradually. Means it was done with cutting. First, he announced a new building campaign, a patriotic endeavor to establish big edifices that would be a glory to the motherland and give a name to Egypt and the world. And they did. Even to this day, the pyramids are associated with the glory of ancient Egypt. And so Paro began by appealing to the patriotism of the citizens of Mitzrayim. Now, who volunteers first when it's a matter of showing loyalty to your country? The Bnei Yisrael, of course. They were grateful for the haven that Egypt had given them in the time of famine. When their father Yaakov sought asylum in Egypt, Paro had welcomed them and he gave them the land of Goshen. And therefore, the Bnei Yisrael felt a debt of gratitude. That's how it is here also until recently. Up until recently, Jews were so happy with the country that they kissed the soil of America. Because they were fresh from Europe, they appreciated the freedom that this country gave them. And therefore, in all patriotic things, the Jews were first. When it came to war bonds, the Jews had campaigns in the synagogues. Jews had American flags hanging from their homes. Today already, the climate has changed. And it went out of style to be patriotic. Once the spirit of lunacy began to pervade America, all the values changed. But until recently... Being a good Jew meant you were makir toiv to a country like America, and you participated enthusiastically in all patriotic endeavors. And in order to appeal especially to the Bnei Israel, Paro said, we are going to continue with the great work that was begun by your forefather Yosef, the Tzfonos Paneach, and led our country for so many years. The building plan that your great Yosef began, we are going to continue. Paro even took a golden brick and hung it by a golden chain around his neck. And with that, he went forth to the people to let them know that the drive was on. A drive to build Egypt. Just like sometimes, the governor comes when they're starting to build a new hospital or some other big institution. And he has a spade and he gives a symbolic dig into the ground. Sometimes, it's a little difficult. It's winter time and he has to break the hard earth. So with his foot on the spade, he tries to knock it in. He does a little publicity work, and it's photographed in all the newspapers. And so Paro came with a brick around his neck as a symbol of the program that they were undertaking. And he encouraged the people, we are all together in this. Everyone should come and take some clay, and each one should mold a brick. Be builders, he said, and don't be knockers. People shouldn't criticize when things go wrong. Everybody should just lend a hand and do their fair share. There were no photographers in those days, but there was applause and speeches and there were honors and everyone was excited to contribute a symbolic brick on the first day, just like Paro did. They were happy that they had made a token contribution to the beginning of this great campaign. And the Bnei Israel joined in. Why not? Nothing wrong. We're building up our country. The country, that's our home for now. It's only right. There was one person there, however, who didn't like the idea. Somebody who said, it's not right. There was an old man, a very elderly Jew, who was standing there watching everything unfold. And he saw through the whole thing. Now, who was that? And so listen now to the rest of the story. When the time had come to volunteer, so the Shavit Levi also wished to volunteer, just like everybody else. 
they weren't any less makir tov than all the Shavatim, but they possessed what no other Shavat had. They had an old grandfather, an old patriarch. Levi ben Yaakov was still around. Levi was the last of the brothers to survive. All the brothers had already died out, but Levi, the old patriarch, was still around. And he had the old wisdom that he imported from Der Altaheim. He wasn't a real Egyptian. He still spoke with an accent. He couldn't speak Egyptian perfectly. And more importantly, he didn't have Egyptian brains on him. He had an old-time Jewish brain, an old-time Jewish traditions, and he saw through it. And so, the old Zaidi spoiled their fun when they wanted to go out together with all the people of the country. So he was mean to them. Don't go, he said. Don't mingle with the Umas Ha'olam. It's not healthy for you to fraternize with the Gentiles. I want you all to stay at home and skip the whole thing. It's like the family that has living with them the old Zaidi who came there from Europe. He was in the yeshiva in Europe, in the old Shtibalach in Europe. And so he has a different spirit, the flavor of the old-time Yiddishkeit. And when he hears the children talk English, he pipes up. Kinderlach, don't speak Goyish. We don't talk in a Gentile language. Many years ago, that was a given. Jews don't speak a Gentile language. When I was in Europe, I spent a little time in a small town. Nobody spoke Lithuanian. If you had to do business with them, you spoke their language. But otherwise, nobody spoke anything but Yiddish. Even the Rashaim. There were plenty of Rashaim in those days already. Before World War II, there were plenty of Rashaim among the Jews. But even the Rashaim didn't speak a Gentile language. If a Jew spoke a Gentile language, it was a Bizayim. And this old Zaidi, he lets his children know what he thinks. So the children protest. But Zaidi, this is America. We have to know English. No shmo, Zaidi says. Whatever it is, you don't have to speak Goish in the house. And that's what happened in Egypt too. But Zaidi Levi, everybody is doing it. And the old patriarch said, everybody, everybody. That's why you shouldn't go. Whatever everybody else does, you should not do. I don't like the idea, Levi said. All of a sudden, they're going to build up Egypt. Yosef HaTzadik already established enough granaries. If they need more, wouldn't Yosef had made more? Are you going to cover the whole land with granaries? How much grain does Egypt produce, even in the good years? I don't like this idea. It smells rotten. There's something behind this, Levi said. Now, the other Shavatim, the younger fellows, they didn't have any old grandfather to be mean to them. And so they ridiculed Levi's opposition. I'm sure they didn't say it with their mouths, but they were thinking, look at this old-fashioned fellow. He just doesn't understand. He's still living in the past in the old country with his tribal ways. In Canaan, they didn't know of granaries. This is something new in modern times. You have to look ahead to the future. You have to plan ahead. Not like you lived when you were in Canaan. You lived from hand to mouth and whatever grew that year you ate. And then, the next year, you starved. But the Egyptians, they know what they're doing. They have heads on their shoulders. After all, they're organized and they're civilized and they're cultured. They are more advanced. And so the patriots, I don't mean to ridicule patriotism. Like I said earlier, it's a good media to be a patriot, but not against the advice of the sages. 
If the Roshi Yeshiva says, be a patriot, then be one. Be a patriot. But when they tell you, watch out, then it's their advice that we have to follow. Now this brings us to the story of one of the great men that we once had among us. There was an old sage, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, who was one of the famous Gedoyle Yisrael. In addition to the fact that he was one of the chief Torah sages, he was the Av Beisdin of the Sanhedrin. He was also the champion of the Jewish people in their disputations with the secretarians of all kinds. In those disturbed days, after the Churban Beis Hamikdash, a number of sects arose in the Am Yisrael. The Christians were prominent among them. But there were others too. And these secretarians, because of their hostility to the body of the nation, who remained loyal to the sages, they had the practice of defaming their fellow Jews to the Roman government. Now, when somebody was needed to be a defender of our people, so the Am Yisrael inevitably turned to the Yeshua ben Hananiah. He was a man of quick mind and a ready tongue. And he was courageous too. And he was so successful and adept in disputations that he became the one who stood up to defend the Am Yisrael against all of their enemies. Whenever the nation had to be represented, it was Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania. The Gemara in Brochus even tells us about how he traveled to Athens and he disputed with the Senate of Athens. He took on the Senate single-handedly. He used to open his mouth and talk back to the Romans, to Christians, to Gnostics, to every form of heretics. And because of that, he acquired the title among the Gentiles too. Chakima Yehudai, the wise man of the Jewish people. Now the fact is that when Apikorsim used to go to into dispute with Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, he made them into idiots. Usually that was the result. They couldn't keep up with his quick wit and his sharp retorts, besides for the fact that the truth was on his side. And he was no patsy either. Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, he would ridicule their foolish interpretations and he would shame them. Now the Gemara tells us that one time Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania was involved in a disputation with a certain mean and he was described as speaking with an especial sharpness. There's a description there of how he showed up his opponent. And upon losing the argument, his opponent announced, I imagine he was frustrated, that Rabbi Yeshua is an unpleasant person. And he quoted the following verse in Micha, Tovam kechedek yashar mimsucha, which means as follows, Tovam, the best of them, kechedek, are like thorns. It means the best of the Jewish nation, their leaders are thorny. That's their nature. Yashar, the righteous ones, mimsucha, are like a fence of thistles. He was complaining about his intoklutor, Rabbi Shua. Your pointed retorts are too sharp for me, too prickly and painful, he said. Now that's true. Rabbi Shua ben Hananiah had to be a thorn when he was defending the Amashem, the Torah. He's not going to sit back and allow half-baked Jews or quarter-baked Jews or Jews in name only to uproot authentic Torah Judaism. But the Rabbi Shua ben Hananiah looked into the verse and he saw another meaning. You know, thorns have a purpose. Nothing in nature is useless and thorns have an important function. What is the function of a thorn bush? It is to protect fields so that animals should not come in. Before men invented barbed wire, they didn't go to the hardware store. They planted fences of thorns. It was a cheap and natural commodity and it meant that you have armed plants with daggers protecting your property. 
a fence of thorns around your property would keep your cows in or keep your cows out according to your desire. And also intruders. It's quite efficient. A thick hedge wall of thorns is just as good as barbed wire. That's what the sharp-witted Yeshua replied. He said, the mushal is exact. The sages are like thorns who protect our people. Tovam kachedek. That's the purpose of the good ones in the Am Yisrael. They are like a hedge of thorns to keep out the wrong influences. And they keep in those who might stray out. And so, when his opponent said to him, You old Jews are like thorns. Rabbi Yeshua answered back to him, In Hachinami, it's true. And it's these thorns that save the Jewish nation. It means that when our leaders are thorny, when they tell us no and no, they act as a thorn fence, not letting us stray from the straight path and not letting us into the influences from the outside. And we are loyal to them. That's our success. In every generation, that is the job of the Chachamim. Instead of flattering or even remaining silent against people who are veering off the beaten path of Toyota tradition, they will be that thorn bush on the side of the path that won't let you move off to the side. You might try, but you'll get to poke. Without the good ones who protect the people, there always are individuals who are going to attempt a sally into the world outside. They are always from people who do risky things. Last week, a girl called me up and asked my advice about a question in Yichud. She's in a group, and they're going to a certain place of irreligious Jews. And she was worried about the Shiloh of Yichud. Maybe it's not kosher to be in that house, because you don't have enough men there, or whatever the technicality it is. So I asked her, why do you go to such a house for Shabbos? What's your business there? She tells me she's going to cheer up a sink young man. A mitzvah, she says. I was thinking, a girl... A frum girl is going for Shabbos for the purpose of cheering up a sick young man, and they're only worried about the Shiloh of Yichud. How do you cheer up a sick young man? And so acting in a role of thorns. Of course, I'm not one of the righteous ones, but a thorn I am anyhow. So I told her, nothing doing. You're worried about the wrong problems. A technicality of Yichud. Is that the problem here? And she obeyed a from girl, a base Yaakov girl, and she accepted the prick of the thorn. And she's only better off because of that. Better off in both worlds. And she didn't go on that cheering expedition. Now, it didn't take too much brains on my part to give her a poke. But the really great ones, our Torah leaders, that's one of their jobs all the time. To be a fence of thorns. To fence us in and to keep the outside influences outside. And therefore, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya said, Tovam kechedek. The good ones are like a fence of thorns. And it's our job to want that. If you only go to places where you'll find smooth people who don't have thorns on them, so you will lose out. Let's say you'll go to a big synagogue, someplace out in the modern neighborhood where 500 people come Shabbos morning. Why do they come there? Because the man who speaks is not thorny. He's a pleasant kind of personality. He's affable. No thorns on him. So he'll never tell you that you must stop shaving with a razor or that you must get rid of your television set. A real rabbi tells you the truth. That if you have a television set, then you might as well forget about having a holy Jewish home. 
Why deceive yourself? It's just as possible to have a Jewish home with these machines in it as having a clean home with a pipe from your toilet bowl leading directly into the dining room. Every time you flush, the contents empty out onto your dining room floor. And that's an understatement. And therefore, a fence of thorns is our salvation. We must keep the good ones home. They shouldn't stray. Outside of the fence, there are lurking many perils to go out on the search for the Holy Grail in Midtown, seeking to buy a bargain. Many times you're exposing yourself to perils. It's not so simple for a woman to be waltzing around in New York today. It's not so simple. Things have happened, unfortunately, and people just close their eyes and say, there was an accident. Three years ago, something happened. A woman went shopping, a young woman. They took her to a wholesale place where she gets special prices and a tragedy happened in the elevator. An evil man followed her into the elevator and a tragedy took place. And after that tragedy, she ended up losing her life too, unfortunately. He took her into the basement there, in that building, and he held her head in a furnace until she passed away. And so, I'll be a thorn to you and I'll tell you, Jews beware! Jewish women especially. If you can keep out of Manhattan do so. Manhattan today is teeming with crooks and with perverts, and they're experienced in performing crimes, and therefore stay away from Manhattan if it's at all possible. And if you have to go there to work, it can't be helped, but try to shop in your neighborhood. It pays to shop locally, even if you lose money. Of course, if there is no alternative, it couldn't be helped, but otherwise, wherever a woman ventures, she is risking, even to go to work so that her husband can learn in the koilel. It has to be done with chokhmah, fenced in by tall and thick thorn bushes. It doesn't pay for a girl to ruin her soul for the sake of her koilel husband. Should a woman be in a place mixed with when, she should be in a place among chatsufim and rishoyim. That's a very delicate question. And you must exercise caution. This I know from much experience. People call me up every day. My phone, my two phones are ringing every day with questions and I know what happens. Sometimes they do very terrible things to pious women in the offices, very fresh things. And the fact that the pious woman does not succumb is not enough because there remains a stain on her soul, however. So it doesn't pay. That's just my private advice. But it's built on solid experience. Don't mix. Don't mix. And not only women, men. Men must be aware of adverse environments. Now, sometimes they can't help themselves. Men must make a living. But you must know if you're a school teacher in the public schools, so you're mingling with many others of low character, men and women, and you're exposed to adverse influences. I know of a case of an Orthodox man, a Ben Toida, who was a school teacher, and he was lured away from his wife by a Gentile teacher in the same school, and he forsook his family for the sake of a Gentile girl. It was unthinkable that this should ever happen. But that's the result of wandering in different fields, straying. Of course, physically, geographically, it's not possible always to be locked in. But if a person has tovam, has some good ones over him, if he's in contact with the good ones who will stand over him and supervise and criticize and scold and serve as a thorny feds, so he will remain inside, at least spiritually. Now, what happens when you ignore the thorny old Zadie? That's what we learn in our Parsha. It was years and years of Shibud. 
That's what happened to the Shvatim who didn't appreciate the thorns of Levi. All the people who had volunteered to do a little bit, the whole Bnei Yisrael except for Shevet Levi, they were hooked and they had to continue to come. It took some time, but that's what happened. And even though they were suffering now, they were carrying heavy loads on their backs of clay and bricks, but it was too late. The scheme had worked. The trap had been set and they were caught. They had snuck through the fence of thorns and it was to their detriment. Now these stories, the Torah stories, are not meant for entertainment. It could be they're interesting, they are entertaining, but that's not the purpose. You have to know that whatever is written in the Torah, even in the form of a story, it's a sivoy, a command to us. Hashem says, are you listening? I'm telling you something now about what happened with Shevet Levi so that you'll learn a lesson from how to succeed in this world. And what's the lesson? That the Am Yisrael must listen to its elders. Any Zaydi, any Bobby, any elder, if you have somebody around who's willing to tell you something that you don't want to hear, someone who can be a thorn in your side, that is your Yeshua. The old-time Jewish people understood that. I still remember when an old Jew would stop in the street and wag his finger at you. Boy, chick, don't do that. And we paid attention. A woman passed by and rebuked a little boy or a little girl for being wild. Zenitvild! And the children didn't answer back. We looked with respect and we quieted down. Not only because we were embarrassed, we knew that the Zekanim were there to tell us off. And the Zignei Chachamim, Kol even more so. In the Torah, in Devarim, it says that Ki Yifalei Mimcha Davar, when something will be too difficult for you, so you should go up to the sages in the Lishkas Hagazis, in Yerushalayim, and they'll tell you what to do. The old sages, they are the Enei Ha'eda, the eyes of the nation, and whatever they say, you should obey them, even though it seems to you to be wrong. If they say go right, even though it seems to you to go left, or if they say left, and it seems to you right, you have to follow their words. The sages are called Enehaida, all through the Torah. They are the eyes of the people. Only what? Every Jew, no matter how ignorant he is, he thinks he sees as well as anybody else. If you know people, that's a fact. There isn't a Jew, no matter how ignorant, who doesn't think he understands as well as anybody else. But Torah, you have to know, is not a simple matter. You can't learn Torah on one foot. It's a very big job with many branches. But like a teenager who looks at adults and he's not impressed, he thinks he knows everything already. Every ignorant and half-ignorant Jew thinks he knows. Who needs experts when you know everything? Now, the question is, why is it that when it comes to medicine, these same people admit that there are experts. They go to people who are acknowledged as experts and they pay them good money and they obey their judgment. But when it comes to Torah practice, to Torah ideology and policy, they are willing to go anywhere or usually nowhere at all. Are spiritual matters less important than matters of health of the body? The answer is, and it's the plain truth, that Torah is not really important to them. When it comes to a growth on the brain or whatever it is, he goes to an expert because it matters. But when it comes to a growth on his neshava, he thinks that even without Torah, he understands what's what. He thinks that Torah is not important for his life. That's the plain truth. And therefore, the story of Shevet Levi comes to tell us, don't make a move without the Zekanim. Otherwise, 
You're negligent. It's like a person who is lost. He's sitting in a car and he's not sure if he should be going on this street or that street. And he's in a different neighborhood. It's not so safe. So the common sense procedure is the first gas station or the first policeman he meets, he asks directions. To ignore such a simple expedient means that this man is reckless. Same thing to ignore the simple expedient of approaching the old Torah authorities, the ones most competent to guide the people, that's plain recklessness. And all the negative results, Chas v'Sholem, in your own life and in the lives of your children and grandchildren and the whole Jewish community, you only have yourself to blame. And not only in halacha matters, in all matters of policy. The old G'dayla Yisrael, the older the better, are the ones most fit for this function. When you need to come to a decision in Torah or a decision in public policy, we do only what our Torah teachers and our Torah leaders tell us to do. If the G'daylim tell us to march out into the street for this and this purpose, then it's your duty to do it. Otherwise, you stay at home. If they tell you to vote for this and this candidate, that's it. That's who you vote for. If they say that this and this thing or this and this book and this and this machine can't be in a Jewish home, then there is nothing to talk about. Sometimes there are dangerous questions, things that could not be discussed in public without harm. Things that are new, that need a great deal of deliberation. And young men, hotheads, rush in where G'doylem fear to tread. And they not only offer their opinions, but they publicize them with fanfare as valid Torah opinions. Of course, if you want to ask how you can repair your leaking radiator, don't go to him. But if you have questions relating to matters of public policy, any questions of behaviors of communities or of how to deal with people with current events and current problems, they are the ones, the G'doylem. And don't tell me stories that the G'doylem are too busy sitting and learning Torah and that it's the political manhigim who know what's going on in this world. That's a statement that cannot pass unchallenged. The G'doylem Yisrael are the ones who should make public policy. People don't understand that. They think, let's say, that Rav Kamenetsky in Muncie or Rav Moshe Feinstein on the east side are good for asking them a question in halacha, especially when you want a kula, a leniency. You can call them up and he says, yes, so now you could say Rav Moshe Feinstein said it's mutter. That's all you need. But to ask him about a matter of public policy, it's not necessary, you think, because my head is as good as his head. Don't think there are areas where a gadol has a right to say and areas where he doesn't have the right to say. A gadol, a Torah gadol has a right to say on everything because the Torah is the only source of true wisdom and the ultimate source of all Eitzah. On East Broadway, we have a Rav Moshe Feinstein. He is the one. Rav Kamenetsky in Muncie from Williamsburg, the Satmerebbe, is a tremendous influence everywhere. There's a Rosh Yeshiva right here in Flatbush. I won't mention his name because other Rosh Yeshiva will be jealous. He's been heading a big Yeshiva for a long time, many, many years. When I see him, I think that's one of the Chachmei Hador. He's an Anav. He runs away from Kavod. But he's a Gadol Batayra. These are the ones to listen to. They're the ones to control all the affairs of the Jewish people in America. I remember there were some modern rabbis who rebelled against Rav Aaron Cutler. One of them said, he said it in public, we are going to refuse to make any appeal for the Lakewood Yeshiva unless you stop being so extreme. A chutzpah! I embarrassed that rabbi in public because it's a question of being a Jew. He's lucky I only embarrassed him. 
I was itching to take a swing at him. I don't know how long he will have to be in Gehenim for that. It's apicorsis. It's against Kola Kula. A Jew has to know where to look for leadership. Ask your elders, the sages. They will tell you. You can't ask anybody else. You just can't help it. You can't get away from the principle of the Torah. We only believe in Gedolim and not in little rabbis, in public speakers, in radio speakers, in television speakers, not in synagogue rabbis, in newspaper editors. In the newspapers, there are people who are incompetent, writers, half-baked Torah scholars, self-declared authorities who answer every kind of question. New Shilas. No, we're not interested. We don't believe in anybody except the great Chochmeh Torah. It's a principle on which our whole Torah stands. If you don't want to accept it, you don't have to, but you don't belong here. That's all. It's the difference between being a Jew and a non-Jew. A Jew listens to Gedolim. That's it. There's no two ways about it. If you don't listen to Gedolim, you're not a from Jew. This I would never yield to you. Some things you can argue with me. You can say, it's Rabbi Miller's opinion. But when it comes to whom do we ask for leadership, we ask only our great men. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to take up the time to sit hours with them. They're not therapists. They're Chachmea Torah. And they can tell you in a few minutes what you need to know. The Jewish nation is blessed with capable Chachamim. If you live in Brooklyn, you are especially privileged. There is no lack of people to whom to go to. Don't ask me, though, who. I'm not going to molest any good man and bring a landslide on him. But Baruch Hashem, there are very many whose guidance we should be following. That's what the success of Shevet Levi teaches us, that we should follow one rule. Whether something is right or wrong is not for us to decide. When it comes to asking for counsel, whether it's about your future or about the future of your family or your community or the future of the country or the nation, who are the ones who are most trustworthy? The old heads. Old Torah heads are calm and seasoned heads. They are the ones who are seasoned by Torah experience. Now, I know my audience. Not everybody here is steeped in Torah yet. And it will take many years to get this across because people come from the street with the street ideas that rabbis should take care of rabbi business. Outside of rabbi business, they have nothing to say. And today especially, the youth think that they can see better than the gedolim. Today, every Chaim Yankel thinks that he can make a decision for the Jewish nation. A little yingle is deciding what yes and what no. We can't allow that. We have to hammer it in over and over again for years and years until we get it into our heads that there is no other way. The Torah view is we have to ask everything to the Gedoyle HaToyda, and Gedoyle HaToyda means the Ziknei Hador. The Rabbanim of the shuls of the communities all have to turn to them for every question. That's the Kiyum of the Amashem. We are the Torah nation, and we walk on the same path that the Shevet Levi walked. That's the program for life. That's the way the Jewish nation is. And that's how we will be until Mashiach will come. We are not going to change. Despite America, we won't change. We are a nation that lives according to the G'day Yisrael. The Torah covers every phase of life. And therefore, if we want to succeed in our lives, not only as Jews, if we want to succeed as human beings, we have to take guidance from people who are competent. And who is competent for the Jewish nation? The G'day Yisrael. We have great Torah leaders, great men, old men 
who are willing to be the fence of thorns that we need. May the Almighty give them long lives and may they increase. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. In this week's Parsha, we see how the children of Levi were saved from slavery by clinging to the instructions of their elders. It is our duty to realize that Egypt is not different and neither is America. We do not follow fads and ideas. We follow the sage advice of our elders, the Zikne Yisroel, who are the Eine Ha'eda. Every day we daven for the tzaddikim of our generation who guide us in everything that we do. This week, I will believe Nader, use the opportunity of that bracha in Shemona Esrei, Allah tzaddikim, to reflect for a half a minute about how important the tzaddikim are to us and how I will strengthen myself in following their advice and their guidance.